Well, if you uh, hadn't noticed, or if this is your first time joining us, we have mentioned a few times this morning as well, uh, but that this is the, the first Sunday that uh, Keith uh, and his family, they're, uh, they're gone. Keith is on a sabbatical, our senior pastor here at, at Grace Point. And um, we'll actually, over these next uh, 13 Sundays uh, that, that we're going to, to have together, I'll be able to, to share with you a number of them, as well as some of the, uh, the, the elders here at Grace Point. Uh, we're going to be able to go on a journey together through the book of Mark. And uh, just one great thing that we're going to be able to do over these next number of weeks is we are going to be able to spend time with Jesus. Um, as we are going to specifically be focusing on Jesus' ministry before he made his final ascent to Jerusalem, where he was preparing for the cross. Uh, but his time that he was spending uh, in ministry, uh, ministering to others, uh, healing, uh, teaching, um, and spending time with his disciples as well. Uh, that time is going to be our, our highlight. We're we'll paying special attention to um, as we're going to be able to spend time uh, hearing from Jesus, seeing Jesus. Um, and just, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to spend uh, these number of weeks with you. Um, you know, it's, it's funny, just that, that, that phrase of, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder. And as we get to spend these next weeks, I don't think that's going to be very true at all. I believe that as we spend this time together, that our close time uh, with the Lord is actually going to be something that's going to cause our hearts to grow, to swell, and affection for him. But this morning, uh, we're going to spend time uh, just in the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1. Um, and so I, I'd ask you to please stand uh, for the reading of God's word as uh, just a sign of our, our uh, just submission to God's authority from his word. We're from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, as we 
hear and see Jesus in these words, Lord, I pray that you would just give us great clarity, that you would uh, give us the eyes to see, the ears to hear, uh, Lord, who our magnificent Savior is. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would go before us, that he would remove whatever, whatever obstacles and hurdles we may have in our hearts, and Lord, that we would come away this morning changed by the work of your word through your Holy Spirit, we ask. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning as we're looking at this text, we're looking at it from the perspective of, of introducing Jesus. This introduction that Mark gives to us. And introductions can be a, a funny thing. If you've ever attempted a baseball game, even like a Firefly game, when a baseball player is coming up to hit, he will ha- oftentimes have a song that he gets to, to choose of what he wants to be playing on the loudspeakers as he comes up to the batter's box, whether it's something that's going to get him kind of amped up, whether it's something that's just a, a favorite song. Uh, I've seen some jokes being played, where like Baby Shark and things like that have been played as, as someone is coming up to the batter's box. Uh, but no one quite does an introduction quite like boxers do as they come into the ring. The world of boxing has seen some flashy introductions as they come out into the arena. Maybe even envision from Rocky IV, Apollo Creed, as, as he comes out wearing that Uncle Sam outfit and living in America, is, is playing and he's all ready to go, only to be decimated by the Russian. That's a spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> But I was looking up just some other ways that uh, boxers would even sometimes come out into the arena. And I've seen some kind of like superhero costumes that they'll wear coming out. Uh, in fact, Floyd Mayweather one time come out wearing a Roman soldier outfit and he was being carried on people's shoulders as he was entering into the arena. One boxer had a real head of a lion on his head as he was entering into uh, the boxing ring. And all this on top of the announcer as they introduce him uh, to the fight. He goes on with this list of titles that they may have. You know, they're the, you know, the, the, the heavyweight or the lightweight, the welterweight, the featherweight. There's so many different classifications. Everybody gets a trophy in boxing. Um, but these introductions go on and on, all these nicknames that they have. It goes on forever. It seems like these incredible introductions that are given to those that are about to watch. And the goal of these introductions oftentimes is maybe to instill some sense of fear within their opponent. Oh, this guy is really good. He's wearing the head of a lion. I better watch out for this one. Although I can't help but think that maybe it just loosens them up because they're laughing at how ridiculous some of them are as well. Well, this morning we are presented with an introduction. And it isn't very gaudy or pretentious isn't filled with flair or confetti or a song by James Brown, but it is clear, and it is one that ought to instill levels of emotion as well within our hearts. And actually, I believe one of them might very well even be rightly fear, in a sense. Before we say anything about the introduction that the author makes, we need to make a couple, uh, some words of introduction about the book itself, the book of Mark, as we're entering into this journey together of, of, of what are Mark's goals, what are some things that are going on as he is writing this gospel, especially those things which will help guide our understanding of this text. Well, it is authored by Mark, John Mark, a companion of, of Paul and Peter, 
uh, likely gathering much of his information on the life and ministry of Jesus actually from the apostle Peter, does Mark. And in fact, this is likely the earliest of the four Gospels that were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This was likely the first that, uh, that, that came out that was written that the Holy Spirit inspired, really perhaps even further emphasizing this is a very genuine introduction of Jesus to many that were around. And Mark's intended purpose in writing this seems to, to be simply to present Jesus, that others might know him, that they would hear him, that they would see that his kingdom is not marked by physical or a political victory, but by suffering and service, culminating in the suffering at the cross, which grants the forgiveness and the freedom from sin for those who repent and believe in the gospel. In fact, at the very center, perhaps we could say, of Mark's gospel is, are these words from Jesus, from Mark 10, 25, even describing the mission of Jesus, which says that even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This morning, as we have this Jesus presented before us, introduced to us, And because we are in such great need of a Savior God to meet us and to rescue us, because we are in such need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can know that Savior today. So the first thing that Mark, first way that he really presents this Jesus to us as as a Savior to be feared. Look again in in our text as we'll be walking through this. It just opens it up by saying the beginning. Those are familiar words to open up a book of the Bible, is it not? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark wants our focus to be clear about who it is that he is writing about. He is clarifying the stated mission in this first phrase. He is writing a gospel, is what he says, the good news of Jesus Christ. And we think of what that means, that he is writing good news. He is writing a gospel. Uh, in fact, that even shapes even the, the, the genre, if you will, of, 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 a, of a type of book. Genre is important when we think of uh, the, the kind of book that we are reading. Without it, we don't understand genre. We may end up, uh, or many young people may end up running headlong into a train platform at not, number nine and three quarters at full speed if we don't understand genre. It's from Harry Potter. If we think that it's the newspaper, then we're going to maybe make some, uh, some, some bad mistakes, perhaps ending up in the hospital. If we don't understand genre, we could perhaps think that lions are going to be speaking to us as we walk around this earth. And Bible readers would, be, uh, would end up petrified looking up at the sky for a dragon roaming the skies from Revelation. But this that we see here is not an allegory. It is not a, sto- it is not a story. It is not a mere account of what took place. It is more than that. A genre of gospel actually is something that is rooted in, in the culture of the time in Greco-Roman society that there would be these things called bios that were written. They were this, this flexible genre that included history, a praise of an individual, uh, the philosophy and the writings of the individual, all kind of included. It's kind of a precursor to our modern day biography. But the purpose, as one writer put it, the purpose of these is to inform the readers of the hero or protagonist, 
and invite the readers to believe that same message. That's what Mark is really doing. He is presenting this person, Jesus, and the message that he bears to persuade us to the truth that is found there. And it means also that the Gospels, the book of Mark, it is about Jesus. They're not just, it's not just a collection of parables, not just a collection of stories, not just a collection of teachings that we should learn from. It all points to greater clarity about who this Savior is. Thus, Jesus, he did proclaim the gospel, but he also is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the one that our attention needs to be drawn to. According to Mark, the gospel is more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It is a person. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he launches into this, uh, this quotation from the Old Testament. It says there in verse 2, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. When we hear these words, how quickly maybe we, we might immediately think of them being uh, fulfilled by John the Baptist as he goes on to describe some of his life and ministry. The great prophet who was the forerunner to Jesus, baptizing in the Jordan River. However, we often fail to see that this prophecy, it's really about Jesus, not John the Baptist. This is about Jesus. Mark does something kind of funny with the text. He says it is written by Isaiah, and while that is the main portion that he draws from, he actually is using language from multiple places in the Old Testament, from Malachi 3.1, as well as from Exodus 23.20. Yeah, I have them up there on the screen, but look at what uh, Isaiah says, even uh, in relation to, uh, to what it says there in Mark. Isaiah 40, verse 3, says, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And then in Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. In Exodus 23.20, Behold, I send an angel or a messenger, it's the same word, before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. As we look at these, these different passages, there's, there's a couple different things that we can say that, that what Mark is, is trying to do. Why is he, is, he, is he drawing from these various passages and in introducing Jesus? First, he's pointing us to the, the continuity of the gospel. This isn't something new, if you will, fully that is taking place, but this is something that is rooted in previous generations, rooted in what has taken place before. When Adam sinned in the garden, God promised he was going to send one who would crush the head of the serpent, thereby declaring ultimate victory for God and for his people. God continued to shed further light on this on his plan of redemption by calling out Abraham and promising the the promising seed would come from his lineage 
God rescued Abraham's people from slavery in Egypt as he brought them out by the hand of Moses. However, generation after generation, the people were given prophets to call them to repentance. But Israel disobeyed and rebelled against God and against his law. God sent the people away from the land that he had given to them, caused them to live in captivity among the idolatrous Assyrians and the Babylonians. Some indeed returned to the promised land, but the temple was now but a shadow of what it once was. The items, the Ark of the Covenant and the, uh, the, the temple uh, worship instruments were taken, never to be seen again. And while God sent a few prophets after the people returned, he had then been silent for 400 years. And the question could easily be conjured up in one's mind. Has God forgotten about us? Did God forget his promises? Did God need to start over with a new gospel? Had it failed? Just prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. The prophets and the law attest that God's plan of salvation from the beginning has arrived. It's here. Not only this. It's like we see that we see who this one is that is actually bringing the good news. Who is this one that has come onto the scene? Who is this one with this, this great announcement? If you're looking at these Old Testament passages, as you may, some of you may know that when the word Lord is in all capital letters, it is referring to God's covenantal name, Yahweh. God's covenantal name, the great I Am. It says, prepare the way of Yahweh. He, John the Baptist, this one that was anticipated, will prepare the way before me, says the Lord of hosts. Will bring you to the place I have prepared, says in Exodus 23. There is something that is earth-shattering about this revelation. Yahweh has come to earth to fulfill his plan. This is the same Yahweh who told Moses in Exodus 33, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. However, the Lord graciously allowed Moses to be hidden in a rock to get a glimpse of the glory of God from his back. This God whose glory cannot be beheld says, prepare the way. Here he comes. The same God whom Isaiah saw sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. That Jesus 
is this same Lord. God veiled in flesh. We sing during Christmas time from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Mark points out the immensity of the incarnation in light of the gospel. Of who this one is that has come. And our only response is to tremble in fear in all honesty as we think of who this is that has come upon the earth. To know that Jesus is not simply some righteous Galilean man that God decided to use as payment for us. But this is God himself. The Lord of glory and of grace who resides on earth. How small we often make Jesus out to be. Jesus would never forgive the things that I've done. He couldn't. His payment for sin is greater than we can possibly imagine when we realize who he is. Jesus was meek and mild. He just wants us to just love each other. Jesus is the God of Moses, of Abraham, and of Isaiah. He has a hatred for sin and a zeal for truth. He is a savior to be in awe of, to be feared, to be worshipped. And John the Baptist is this forerunner for Yahweh. It's faithful, calling people to a baptism of repentance and preparation. John knew the absurdity that Jesus would come to him to be baptized. He knew this was outrageous. However, we see that this Savior is one who knows us, and he knows our plight, so he enters in. Let's look again at these next few verses in verse 9. As you look at this, this, this baptism, as, as Jesus comes to him, this is a, a Savior to be known. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Why would Jesus be baptized? A baptism says you're for repentance. And we have the one here who is perfect light. You guys ever, I, I love watching those videos of uh, such like, like famous athletes or just someone especially that, that seems kind of larger than life as they kind of like enter into the fray of everyday living. Uh, you guys ever seen the videos of Shaquille O'Neal, you know, 7 1, 300 and some ridiculous number amount of weight this guy has, and him going along the streets in some neighborhood, finding some pickup basketball game and shooting hoops with them? It's like the coolest thing. And just even like, you know, the smile on the kids' faces as, as they see Shaq there. Um, is, it, it's a really, really amazing video seeing things like that. But what about if there's something like this? I'm going to continue to take the sports analogies here, here and continue with basketball. But what if there's a basketball clinic uh, where it's a, it's a beginner's basketball, you know, people are learning how to dribble, they're learning just how to shoot, have basic form the first time, and all of a sudden Michael Jordan walks in. Like, man, how cool is that? Michael Jordan walking into a clinic like this, and Michael Jordan gets in line to be the next one to run some of the drills and say, no, you're supposed to be here 
teaching these things. And he instead, he comes up, steps in line to just work on how to do some basic things for dribbling. That would be a crazy thing to witness. And we would think that that's, that you're, you're in the wrong place. You're not doing the right thing. And to an even greater degree is what we see what Jesus is doing here. Stepping in line, if you will, the baptismal line. And saying, baptize me next. Jesus, by being baptized, is doing a couple of things. First, he's, he's publicly launching his ministry in the most public way imaginable. I mean, the scene is unreal. The heavens are being torn open, it says. It's the same word that's described by Mark later on when the curtain that was torn in two in the temple upon Jesus' death. Here we have the, the heavens are being ripped open. In fact, it's also the same word in the, in the Greek Old Testament of the, the Red Sea being torn in two. Uh, it says in Exodus 14, uh, being torn in two, uh, actually for the Israelites to cross through. So we have these, these heavens being ripped over, whatever that scene was. Uh, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Whether this was a, a real dove that landed him or not, do not know. Luke actually says that there was some bodily form that was happening, whether it was a dove or was saying something about Jesus. But there was something that seemed physical to what was going on with the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus. And then there is a voice declaring from heaven, You are my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Can you imagine being one of those other people in line, that baptismal line, if you will, and just seeing this. I mean, just the, the awe of what is happening. The heavens, the Spirit of God, the voice coming down upon this one. It's a meeting of heaven and earth as heaven is ripped back to declare the love for the Son and for the world to know who this Jesus is. Yet Jesus is baptized in order to associate himself with sinners. He places himself among the guilty, not for his own salvation, but for ours. In his baptism, he associated himself with us sinners and placed himself among the guilty. He, as the well-pleasing Son, identifies with God's wayward Son, Israel, in order to rescue them and us. He meets them at their plight. And He meets us in the middle of our plight. And He wasn't just at this, this, this baptism, but He, he continues this, this meeting right where we are, in the, in the plight where we are, even in, in this temptation. Look there in the next few verses, in this temptation that Jesus endures. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The same Spirit that descended upon Jesus at the baptism has an appointment for him in the wilderness. And he doesn't just lead him there. What does it say? He drives him. Literally, he throws him, it says. He throws Jesus out into the wilderness. 
Now, much can be said about the temptation of Christ. In fact, all the other Gospels, they spend a lot more time describing what it is that, that's happening and how Jesus fends off the attacks of Satan. But Mark chooses to limit this account, not wanting to say everything, but saying just a couple things very pointedly, exposing us not to the details, but he exposes us to the person, Jesus. Like at the baptism, Jesus is identifying with sinners. In fact, in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, here in the middle of, really at, if you will, at the beginning of uh, Moses is, is going before Pharaoh uh, to uh, cry out to him to, to, that God would have his people let go. And Pharaoh's constant refusal. In Exodus 4.22, God describes, or rather Moses describes Israel as the firstborn son of God. That's how Israel is referred to. Israel, as this son, this child of God, went out from Egypt into the wilderness where they were tempted for 40 years. Here, the true Son of God is likewise thrust into the wilderness, hurled into the wilderness. This place of danger, of gloom, the abode of demons, as what traditions would say. This was an anti-Eden. Israel saw the giants of Canaan And they wavered in their faith. They saw their lack of variety in their diet. And they complained against the provision of God. They refused to wait upon the Lord at Sinai. And hurriedly made their own God fashioned out of gold. Israel wandered in the wilderness and failed. Beloved, You and I, we are Israel. We go out into the wilderness. We are tested and tried. And we fail. We are weak. We are sinners. We rebel against the good things of God. Over and over and over again. We see what we think are insurmountable trials come before us, and we too waver in our faith. We daily complain against the provision of God in money or in relationships, in our experiences, in our emotions, whatever it may be. We complain against the provision of God. We are unsatisfied with God's faithful hand. We rush to conclusions beyond God's will where God has called us to wait upon him and his timing. Over and over again, we fail those 40 years. Where Israel failed, where I have failed, Christ was obedient. Where I doubt God's wisdom or power to overcome the evil I see around me, Christ trusted when my heart longs for the things of this world to be satisfied with better things, bigger homes, greater ease, whatever it may be, Christ was satisfied in the presence of God. He not only knows, he not only shows his faithfulness, he identifies with us in that. He offers this righteousness, 
that he exercises there in the wilderness. He offers that righteousness, that obedience to all who would trust in him for their salvation. And so doing, when God sees me, he does not see my sin, but the righteousness of Christ himself, his obedience, his steadfastness, his purity. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul actually makes this, this, this great conclusion uh, that as he's describing the gospel, it's this, this gospel of reconciliation, and he says this, he says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Holding this tightly, this truth, how does this change the way that we pray? Knowing that we have a Savior who has endured the trials and the temptations that we regularly fail. He has gone before us. And not only that, but then we can have the confidence of knowing that by faith, through Christ, that God sees us, not in our failures, but even when we stumble, even when we fall, even when we sin, that we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, how we can come confidently before the throne. Not on our own merit, but because we see Christ, this one, this, this one who has succeeded where we have failed time and again. What confidence, what hope we can walk in. And this is a Savior, to see lastly, this is a Savior to be believed. Not just to be known, not just to be feared, but to be believed. And verse 14, it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The God of Israel, Yahweh, who identifies with his people, has come to right the wrongs by inaugurating the kingdom of God. He has come to bring forth righteousness, justice, mercy, and hope. He has come to bring the gospel of God. Yet the gospel is not merely a message, but it is a person who has come, Jesus Christ. And the answer for you and I is not merely to, to watch these things take place before us, I know we have, uh, we have said much about the kingdom of God and, and all that it is. It is the, the work of the Lord, righting wrongs, taking back that which was lost in the fall. And the answer for believers as we see the kingdom of God at work is not just to sit back and, and allow it to happen before us. But in fact, we are invited to join in to what this blessed Savior is doing. The call for you and I then is to repent of our sins and to believe. Believe that this Jesus is who he says he is. Believe that this Jesus is faithful and true and will see to his work until the very end. And he invites us to participate in this work that he is doing. So, if you haven't been introduced before, Consider this your formal invitation to Jesus, the Lord God Almighty, veiled in flesh, who meets you right where you are 
and invites you to believe. If you've been introduced before, perhaps you have lost sight of who he is. He is the one who is to be feared, the one who is to be known, the one who is to be believed. Again, Jesus says why he came to earth. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life, his life, as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks for Jesus. God, he is our Savior. He is our, he is our God. And Lord, he is our friend. I cannot even comprehend this, this at all. Lord God, you say it, and so we know that it is true. Lord, I pray that as we see Jesus, God, help us to grow in faith. Help us to know you more. Help us to, to grow in our love and our affection for you, and help us to live that out in a way in which you are pleased and glorified. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.